0: Good morning again to everybody. Good certainly good to have uh, everybody with us this morning. Good to have you that are logging into uh, Facebook Live. Good to have you and, and uh, YouTube later on. Uh, certainly good to have you here with us. want to invite you and your, our visitors to be here with us anytime that you can. All right, let's see here. Looks like uh, David and Angie has got Children's Church, so 12 and under. We're want to head over for that. And our hymn of invitation this morning is Room at the Cross. That's hymn number 169, if you would like to go ahead and mark that in your hymnals. So I certainly encourage you to do that. All right, it's certainly good to be here. Uh, Always a privilege for me to share God's Word with you, and and, uh, certainly happy to be here. It's uh, one week. Post-resurrection, we we think about that, and it uh, doesn't seem like it's been a week in a lot of ways, and in some ways it seems longer uh, than a week, and I've certainly enjoyed and hope that you have. These uh, past few days we've had absolutely beautiful. uh, The resurrection, like Christmas, anticipation builds up, builds up, builds up to the day, and then we, we go through the celebration. And then afterwards, it's we just kind of fall off and we don't think much about it. But there's a lot that has went on this first week after Jesus was resurrected. And this morning, I want us to think about, and maybe you've never considered his disciples during this first week. Put any thought ever about this group of men that uh, had been through... So much together, beginning from the the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he called them, uh, all throughout the ministry, the things that they saw, the things that they witnessed, the things that they took place in, part of, and then the events of uh, the last Passover that Jesus uh, was with at them. This group of men, though they were kind of an odd bunch, went through a lot of things together. And these men, we have to remember, Jesus brought together to change the world. And that's exactly what they did. They had very little in common. I mean, a few of them, I guess four of them were fishermen. So they had that in common. And there was a couple sets of brothers, and they had that obviously in common. But as far as that goes, this was a pretty diverse group of men. yet I want us to understand that Jesus chose these men. This morning I want to look at these brothers in Christ is what these, these relationships ended up evolving to. And I want to see that we ourselves have something very much in common with this group of men as well. If you would, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 where Paul here is witnessing and telling about the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 3 he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. And these twelve is who I want to talk about this morning, who I want us to look at, this morning and I'm not trying to take the focus away from Christ but I want us to see that in the same way what Jesus had planned for these 12 he also has planned for us and I'd like for us to think about that as we go through this morning's study they were all witnesses of Jesus' ministry they all benefited equally from his teachings But each one of their lives was changed dramatically when they chose to follow Jesus. I want to look a little closer. We'll begin by looking at the fact that Jesus called these men. Turn with me over to Matthew 14, and we'll see this where he, uh, Matthew 14, or four rather, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And this is where Jesus calls the four fishermen. And Jesus, Matthew writes, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of zebedee and john his brother in a ship with zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him now the scriptures doesn't tell us what jesus was looking for when he began to choose these or pick these men or call these men one thing we know for sure that he was not looking for a fan he was looking for a follower and I'm afraid that what we've witnessed over the past decades in our church as a whole is that we have a lot of people that are fans of Jesus, but not necessarily followers of Jesus. They, want to, they claim they're a Christian. They want to come to church and, and have all the benefits of, of Jesus. They want to have the benefits of, of saying they're a Christian, but they stay just far enough away from Jesus and a relationship with him that they're not committed to anything to him. But that's not what we see with these men. As you notice, it's talked about uh, there in verse uh, 21. James and John and their dad was fishing. And they were there mending their nets for the next day's work. And Jesus called these men and they left their job and they left their dad and they left the work that they were presently doing to follow Jesus. Jesus. So I want us to understand the first thing that we have in common with this bro- these brothers in Christ is the fact that Jesus called them and Jesus calls us in the same manner. So many times people will put off, Oh, I need to finish mending my net before I can follow Jesus. But that's not the, not the example that was set by the disciples. And it shouldn't be the example that we set ourselves for others. To follow. We should not. If if Jesus calls you. You should never say. I need to mend my net first. I need to make sure dad's got some help. For tomorrow's work. When Jesus calls. We should respond. Just as they did immediately. Immediately to the call. Because we are called. In the same way. Now Jesus knew these men. Something else that we need to understand. And I'll give you some examples. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we see that he calls Peter. 1, verse 41 and 42. He first findeth his own brother, and talking about Andrew here, his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted a stone, or Peter the rock. Jesus knew Peter. He knew his character. And just as soon as he met him, he gave him a new name, a new identity to associate himself with because Jesus knew what the the future, Jesus knew what the next three years would hold, but Peter didn't have a clue what was gonna happen. We can also see uh, there in John, just over in uh, verses 46 and 47, as they talk about Nathanael. And Nathanael said, as he was being told, Philip came to him and says, and Nathanael said unto him, Come, can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile, or no deceit. Maybe some of your translations will say, Nathaniel just spoke what he, what was on his heart and on his mind. When they said, you know, Nazarene, uh, Messiah, can there be anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Well, he was open-minded enough that he went, but he was a doubt. He doubted, but he was still honest in what he said. Jesus knew this man. And then we know of course Judas, if you turn over to John chapter 6 verses 70 and 71, we know what what Jesus said about Judas. Jesus answered them, "Have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do when he chose Judas. But yet he chose him. And that's what we have to understand. Jesus knew each and every one of us. And what we have to understand this morning is, just like Jesus knew these men, knew their characteristics before... And note, I said before he chose them, he knows you just the same. He knows you just the same. He knows your strong points. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the good, and he knows the bad. But you know what? He still chooses you. He still calls you to come and be a follower. He knows that once that you come in contact with him, those things that that maybe society or even yourself think about as something that would would limit you, he knows that that can change with a follower. A follower will see change in their life from what they were before Jesus. A fan, not so much, but a follower will. And that's what we see here. Now, as I said earlier, this is an odd group of men. And I want you to think just for a moment as Jesus was walking about picking this group of men. Peter stood there smelling of fish. He was uncouth guy, he was uncultured, uh, impulsive. Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen and they also smelled like fish. They liked any kind of refinement. Philip appeared to be a guy that was indecisive. Thomas, we know, was a cynic. He doubted, remember? Matthew, remember the tax collector? He was considered a traitor. we have just come off tax day. Nobody likes taxes, do they? Nobody likes taxes. And uh, so we can imagine, because at that time, they viewed a tax collector as someone that was taking their money and giving to an invader, and they probably skimmed a little off the top, charged a little more than they were supposed to. So Matthew didn't have a good reputation. Simon, he was a zealot which means that uh, he was uncompromising in his beliefs. If you look at the dictionary, it calls a zealot a fanatic. And this was what was described as Simon. This was in his name. So we see that. We know Judas. Not only was he a traitor, history tells us that he was a thief. He's the one that had the money back. He was always concerned about the money. We recall when they were uh, anointing Jesus He was fussing because they wasted that ointment because it could have been sold and, and given to the poor. I doubt Judas was really worried about the poor. If a panel of people were chosen to pick out 12 followers for Jesus and they took applications, these guys would not be it, is what I'm trying to say. And what I want us to understand, when we think about how we how we are. These 12 men that Jesus chose would have not been picked as a group from an application list by a group of qualified uh, researchers. But yet Jesus chose them. Jesus chose them. The world may not have picked these men but Jesus did and I want you to understand this morning you may feel like the world would not pick you but Jesus does. Jesus picks you. He wants you to be a follower. He wants you to so and so to speak. He wants you to be on his team. And that's encouraging for me because that's what the one of the examples that we see that Jesus leaves us with these 12 that he chose. They were not the in crowd at all. Over in Acts chapter 4 uh, verse 13 We see Luke says this, Luke 4.13, or Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's the kind of men, that's the kind of group that the others viewed the disciples as unlearned and ignorant. They had just been with the Savior of all of mankind for three years and this group of the in people, what we call the beautiful people, looked down upon them as unlearned and ignorant. But God sees more than man sees in people and that's what we can see here. Consider just a minute how different they were. Now, they had some things in common, but they were basically men with ordinary backgrounds. Nathaniel was prejudiced, as we talked about there, when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Thomas doubted. He wanted proof. He wanted to be able to stick his fingers in the nail holes of Jesus' hands. Andrew, really of no notoriety other than the fact that he brought his brother Peter uh, to Jesus. He's mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. Andrew is. And, and the other disciples, less than that, some of them. Peter, we know about him, impulsive. What did he do when in the garden? He whacked off Malchus' ear. Told Jesus he wasn't going to wash his feet. Told Jesus that he would go unto de- to death uh, before he would abandon Jesus or deny Jesus. And what, in fact, did he do? He denied him three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. So we know that these were ordinary men, ordinary backgrounds. As I said, Simon, he was a zealot, fanatic. Matthew, that tax collector. Judas, known for his betrayal. They didn't have any formal education that the Scripture speaks of that we know of. They were probably brought up in a temple, and they had what every, every young man would receive, but as far as any type of formal recognized education they didn't have, remember what they said, they thought them unlearned and ignorant. But these are the men that Jesus chose to preach the gospel to the world. And think about this, you think you can't be useful to Jesus. These men were willing. They were willing. They didn't say, hey, well, I didn't I just finished high school, or I got a GED, or I didn't graduate high school, or or whatever the case may be. I've done some things, Lord, in the past. I've got kind of a bad temper. Well, I'm kind of a, a, a show-me kind of person, Lord. All of these fit what Jesus chose to preach the gospel. And in the same way, what we have to understand is that... We are useful when we are like the disciples. And what made them different? Obviously, as we said, it wasn't because they looked good. It wasn't because they were the in crowd. It wasn't because they was popular. It wasn't because they were highly educated. It was because they were willing. They were willing. That's what these 12 men had in common. Even though I know some of them were fishermen, but but otherwise a pretty diverse group. A third of them were fishermen. The rest other occupations all of them were willing and that's what we have to find ourselves in we have to be willing not perfect because none of us are perfect myself included I don't know a perfect person except for Jesus Christ what we have to understand is this that the impact after the resurrection those appearances that Jesus made how much it was fully felt by the disciples. And that began this week. They went, this group of men, now let's think about this. Let's go back to, to, uh, to uh, Thursday night, Friday morning. Thursday night, they were in the garden, or very early Friday morning, in the garden with Jesus. They came to take Jesus away, arrest him, And what happened to all but one of the disciples that was there? They scattered. They ran. They deserted Jesus. Peter followed from afar off, it says. So he doesn't technically qualify as a deserter. But he was being very cautious. Leading up to the time that that he denied Christ. And then what happened with these deserters of the cross, so to speak? They became defenders of the cross. The first 12 people to become defenders or pro- proclaimers of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that, that is because of the encounters that they had. And they began to think. The scriptures tells us that they didn't understand at that time, but they understood later after the resurrection. Then it began to put it all together. And they began to understand, see, and realize who they had been with all of this time. And all of his teachings begin to come into focus for them. And that's what we see here. The conviction. To say that these men were convicted is, is really kind of an, an understatement. And that's our next point. The apostles were convicted men because of those that experience after the resurrection went from deserters of the cross to defenders of the cross. Abraham Lincoln said this once, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all of it, and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Now we think about that. When we fall under conviction with Jesus Christ, when the Holy Ghost convicts us, when the truth of who Christ is convicts us, we have no other place to go but submissively to our knees because we are hopeless without Him. Hopeless without Him. I want us to consider something else. What this group of men witnessed firsthand as they walked with Jesus, the healings, Feeding of the thousands of people, raising of, of people from the dead, the blind was given sight, the cripple was able to be made to walk again and whole. And countless others that we don't know of because the scriptures does not list all of his miracles. He sent them out, if we recall, early in their ministry and give them power to cast out devils and to heal. Could you imagine? Here we you go from a fishing, okay? You're in your boat fishing few months later, you're out going city to city preaching uh, the Messiah has come and you're casting out demons. That's enough of a shock for most of us. They watched one of their own betray the man that they had been following for three years. They watched Jesus be taken away for a trial. Their friend, Judas, who he had been with them three years, they watched him kill himself. Now just think about that just for a moment. Somebody that you've traveled with every day of your life for three years and the disappointment they must have felt when they discovered that it was Judas who was going to betray Christ when they came into the garden. How much disappointment they felt and then think about the despair that they felt when they found out that Judas killed himself. We don't think about this. They've seen the man that they've been following crucified. The man that they had put all their hope and all the plans and all their following. He'd been teaching us, been providing for us. And here we are, he's dead. They've seen him resurrected. You talk about a roller coaster of emotions for some a group of Men. And I don't care if you're some kind of big macho tough guy or not. You go through those kind of events, it's going to really affect you deeply inside of who you are. And that's what these men did. They were were with Jesus after the resurrection. All of his teachings, all the things that he had been telling them, trying to get them to understand, they were coming into focus, and that's where we see this conviction that they had. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Talking about being with him after the resurrection. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he continued to teach. In this 40-day period, he continued to teach. He was with the disciples off and on, as we see through the scriptures. And this had a profound effect on these men. It put them under conviction. Under conviction of who it was that they had been following. And it's the same for us today. I want us to understand. Any time you spend with Jesus as Lord and Savior you're going to experience change as a result of that. And that change will bring about conviction. And that conviction will show you that you have no place else to go but to Jesus. And then finally, I want us to look back in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We're probably all familiar with this passage. Because these men were converted and commissioned. So once the conviction came, once they were chosen, and this conviction came after they'd followed Jesus and and all of them began to sink in, they were converted and commissioned. Matthew writes in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So these men were converted from those deserters, from those old rough, smelly fishermen, that old despised tax collector, the guy that always doubted and the guy that spoke his peace, whatever he had on his mouth, it came out of it. These men were converted to followers of Jesus, and Jesus gives them a commission, a job to do, and he sends them out. All the things that were different about these men, any disagreements they had, any plans uh, that they had when they first started to follow Jesus, and we remember brothers talking about who was going to sit on the right and the left hand of God and their mother petition? We remember that? All of those things no longer mattered. All of this stuff was no longer important. They had a different focus. They had a different focus from then on in their lives. That was the old man, so to speak, and what was moving forward, Was the new that was put on. They were a team. They had been changed. And they all understood. The assignment. Every one of them. Understood the assignment. People come. People. For these group of men. Came to matter more than themselves. Now I wonder where they got that from. You ever think about that? Helping people to feel welcome. Helping people to feel accepted. Helping people to understand that they had value. Even though the world says they were worthless. Even though the world said that you cannot participate in society because they made the people feel like they had value. To the point that it was more important than what was comfortable for them to do because of this commission. It was true of Jesus. He went to people that everyone said, well, you're, you're eating with sinners, the tax collectors, the harlots. You, you're not supposed to do that. But Jesus made them feel welcome. Jesus made them feel like they had value because they do. They do have value. Everyone has value. And it was true of these 12 men. The same thing that that commission changed these men. Now here's something else that you may not have considered much. You know it. We know these things, but we don't often think about these things. From what I can find in the scriptures and all throughout the history, all of these men, with the exception of John, suffered execution. Do you know why? Were they tried for murder? Nope. Were they tried for rape? Maybe it was treason. Maybe it was they were thieves. Nope. They were executed because they preached the gospel of Christ. They were executed because they preached the gospel of Christ. John ended up dying, as far as we know, on the island of Padmos as a prisoner. So he died, as far as we know, of natural causes. The rest of them suffered horrible deaths. Crucifixions, being stabbed, cut in half, I think Andrew was. Terrible, terrible deaths. Not, Not nothing you would even call natural. Terrible deaths. Executions. For preaching the gospel of Jesus? And do we realize that we are called to have that same kind of commitment in our relationship with being a follower of Jesus? I want to ask you a question. How many of those 12, and I realize that Judas hung himself and they replaced him with Bartholomew? I understand that. How many of those 12 quit? None. They all stayed with their commitment of following Jesus right up to their execution or, in the case of John, his his death on that island as a prisoner. None of them quit. Why? They could. Easily. Did you hear what happened to Peter? Uh, That ain't happening to me. I'm going back to the boat. I'm going to go back and collect taxes. I'm going to go back and do whatever it is I was doing because it's not worth it to me to be hung on a cross. It's not worth it to me to be cut in half. It's not worth it to me to be stabbed to death. Not a single one of them quit. They, everyone, served and followed Christ to their death, doing what he told them to do, to go and preach to all the nations Teach the same things that Jesus taught. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and remembering that Jesus is with them all the way to the end. None of them quit. Where does that leave us? For What kind of example does that leave for us? Now, I don't, I'm not trying to elevate the disciples above Christ because certainly I'm not. But what an example these 12 men left for us to follow when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. It shows us that Jesus uses just ordinary, unqualified, unacceptable people to do extraordinary things. And not because they have some kind of secret hidden talent, just because they're willing to do it. And that's what we have to understand. That once we come through a realization of what Jesus paid, the price that was paid on the cross, how much value that we actually have, when we do that, we're just like Abraham Lincoln. We're driven to our knees because everything that we have is it's not, it's not a, nowhere near sufficient. There's only one place that we can go and that is at the foot of the cross. And that is to put our faith and hope because their backgrounds were no different, their abilities really no different, their faults certainly were no different, but all of their lives showed the effect of Christ, his teachings, the realization of what he did at the cross for them and us. So answer for yourself this morning. Answer this throughout the course of the week. Look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow, this evening, whenever. Am I a follower or a fan? And be honest with yourself when you ask that, when you answer it especially. Am I a follower of Jesus or am I just a fan of Jesus? And there's your example to use to check your answers. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you want to become a follower of Jesus, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation Room at the cross, and that's what we were talking about. Room at the cross for you. 169, we're going to sing this hymn. Hearing the word and believing it, being willing to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, repent of your sins, be buried with him as Jesus commanded, to be buried with him at baptism in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, that you might receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you walk following faithfully until Christ returns or we're called away. Now, maybe there's some of you out there that realize, you know what? I've been more of a fan than I've been a follower. And I want to encourage you to repent. Because I'm afraid just being a fan of Jesus is a dangerous place to be, folks. I pray that you would, would realize that what's acceptable for us as followers, and if you need to make a change, I encourage you to make that change. In either case, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation, 169, Room at the Cross, the first and the third verse. And I want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing.